Please open the precious Word of God to Psalm 144. Psalm 144. Thank you for reading and singing Psalm 18. Thank you for reading it last evening. Psalm 144 is a condensation of it. As we go through these words, you will see that. But it has an appendage to it. It has four verses, 12 through 15, that Psalm 18 didn't have. And it's those four verses we want to lay hold of and seek God's blessing upon us that we might realize them. The 15th verse tells us of Psalm 144, Happy is that people that is in such a case. Yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. And in your King James Bible, that Lord is in all capital letters. And when you see that, that is our King James translators making that distinction so that you know that it is the Hebrew tetragrammaton of four Hebrew consonants, meaning I am that I am. Jehovah is our God. We are not confused about the name of our God. His name is Jehovah. I am that I am. There's no God like Him. Yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. This church embarked on a pursuit of God and godliness nearly eight years ago based on this psalm. The happiness and success we have enjoyed since then should cause us to thank our Father in heaven. For we are not worthy of the least of all His mercies or of all His truth that He has shown us. Yet we want to be reminded what we should be praying for waiting for and doing in our pursuit of the blessings described in this psalm. Psalm 144 is a short summary of Psalm 18. Psalm 18 is a special psalm. It's in the Bible twice. Some of you know all these things, but let me state the obvious anyway. You'll find it in 2 Samuel 22, just as it's found in Psalm 18. 50 verses long of David describing God's great mercy and blessing toward him in defeating all of his enemies. We do not know if David wrote Psalm 144 at the same time or if he wrote it at one of the occasions when he was installed as the king of Israel because that's what it sounds like. David twice was made king under difficult circumstances. King Saul had been from the tribe of Benjamin, and they were not willing to let go the reign from their tribe easily. David reigned for two years in the city of Hebron, waiting for the whole nation to be brought to him. There was treachery then from Saul's household. He had endured that for many years. Then later, his son drove him out of his own kingdom. And he was installed again. But the whole nation had, much of the nation had turned after Solomon and away from David. And he was, he experienced great treachery from his own son. So you're, you're going to find remarks about that. David endured enemies so frequently in his life. Those of you who have read the Psalms well, you would probably agree with me that at least a third of them 
speak of David's enemies over and over. And some of the places where it describes his enemies are very touching because it was so painful to him to have enemies close at hand. Since the nation of Israel was the church of God under the Old Testament, we take what we can get from a psalm like this for us under the New Testament. We are the antitype of the Old Testament. We are the fulfillment of Zion and Jerusalem, as our brother mentioned earlier. Every man, every pastor, every church will prosper to the degree they emulate David and the son of David. We have this multitude of scriptures about David and his inspired praying so that we can adapt ourselves to that and live that way. And Jesus, our Savior, our only Savior, is called the Son of David for good reason. He is His Son, and He is a lover of God and a worshiper of Him, as was David, His father. The true happiness of any people, the happiness of your soul, depends upon that last clause. Yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. If you compromise the Lord God Himself, from being the chief desire of your soul, you lose. He doesn't lose because he doesn't need your love and service. Job speaks plainly about that. But you lose. Every time that you or I, and we do it, let our love of the Lord God slip. He no longer is the delight of our souls. We lose. And so we grab that last clause and we lay hold of it and we say, I want that. Now, I do not encourage you this morning to choose God as the chief love of your soul just to be happy. That's a side benefit. God is worthy of being the chief love of your soul whether you're happy or not. Because He's the only perfect being and object in the universe to delight in. Regardless of whether you end up happy. But you will. You will, and it's the only way to be happy. You know... In the New Testament, true happiness is focused even tighter. And it's focused upon the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. David did not know his own son yet. David knew he had a son coming that would reign forever. But he didn't know him yet. We know him. We know the son of David. We know the Lord Jesus Christ. And is he the love of your heart this morning? Is he the delight of your soul? Do you trust in Him completely and at all times? Do you spend every day with Him? Do you speak to Him in your beds? Do you commune with your own hearts upon your beds and the Lord Jesus Christ? Happy is a people that does that. Happy will you be if you'll do that. I think we ought to start with this psalm and work backward for a few minutes. Then we'll come forward. I want you to delight in this psalm. And I beg the God of heaven, the Lord of glory, and Jehovah Himself, through the Lord Jesus Christ, to bless us with these blessings. It says in the first half of verse 15, Happy is that people that is in such a case. When the Bible says such a case, then it means it's already defined that case and we should look at it. So we back up to the 14th verse. That our oxen 
may be strong to labor, that our productivity will be blessed by God. They did not have tractors or skid loaders or anything else like that. They had oxen. And it is God that makes oxen strong. And God can make oxen very strong. And God can make oxen healthy so that they are able to labor. That our oxen may be strong to labor. The Bible says where there is no ox, the crib is bare. There is wonder, there is wonder in getting your hands on a machine. Isn't there, Brian? With a PTO? Yes, sweet. That's an invention from heaven. It's better than an ox. It's better than a whole lot of oxen. PTO means, it's not, it's not a substitute for the PTA. It means power takeoff out of the back end of a tractor. It's a wonderful device that our oxen may be strong to labor, that there be no breaking in, no thieves or foreign armies coming to come into our cities, nor going out where we have to run and flee because we're in perfect safety, that there be no complaining in our streets. No complaining because God has put you in such a case that all your needs are satisfied. He's blessing the work of your hands and you're prospering. God is able to do that. And the Bible says happy is a people that is in such a case. Yea, better than that, happy is the people whose God is the Lord. Because God the Lord is the one that does all that, but God the Lord is the chief desire and goal of our lives. We back up to verse 13. That our garners may be full. Those are granaries. Granaries, full, affording all manner of store. All sorts of good things to eat without a worry about quantity. That our sheep may bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our streets. Let me tell you something. You know this from the Bible. The reproductive ability, the reproductive multiplication of animals depends upon the God of heaven. Do you remember what Jacob did? But the, the Lord can blow against reproductive ability and herds dry up. The Lord can blow in their favor and they multiply rapidly. Jacob crossed Jordan one time with a staff in his hand. And when he came back, he had so much, he had to divide up into two. So much. Abraham and Lot couldn't live together because God had made Abraham so rich because God was blowing upon him for good. And so it tells us here that in our economic and financial Matters, the Lord will bless and take care of us. We back up to verse 12. That our sons may be as plants grown up in their youth. That our daughters may be as cornerstones, polished after the similitude of a palace. Our sons may be as plants grown up in their youth. That our young men would be strong and mature in their youth. That we fathers who are looking for the next generation to serve the Lord and to lead families would see sons that are strong, committed, mature, and godly in their youth. Grown up in their youth. Not waiting to grow up. Not causing fathers to wonder, will they ever grow up? but grown up like plants 
in their youth. And then daughters, that our daughters may be as cornerstones, polished after the similitude of a palace. I love the metaphors of the Holy Spirit. A cornerstone. If any woman ever feels somewhat slighted, because when you read a psalm like Psalm 18, it's all about the military and David's exploits as a man of war, there is still in Psalm 144 and verse 12 a description of godly women being the cornerstone of society because it is godly mothers and godly wives that make godly homes by giving the law of their mother to children. It is the character of Jael's, the character of Hannah's, the character of Abigail's, Eunice's, and Lois's that make great families, that make great churches. They, they have a contributing part in that, in that role and that accomplishment by strength. They're made, they're called cornerstones here. But they're not just strong. They are polished. So they have the graciousness and the virtue and the law of kindness in their mouth like the virtuous woman does. And that's, that's somewhat hid here, but it should be plain to you. They are the cornerstones. Women of character. The Bible describes in Isaiah chapter 3 that when God judges a nation, He takes away the men, but He also leaves the women to be vain fools. Are you familiar with Isaiah 3? There's problems on both sexes. When God judges a nation. We want women of character. The Bible says favor is deceitful. Beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord. She shall be praised. That's what we want to see our daughters turn into. But now if you get a virtuous woman that's also beautiful. And what is beauty in the Bible? It's the fear of the Lord and the love of the, the love of the Lord. And graciousness. A gracious woman is always honored. Proverbs 11:16. A beautiful woman that doesn't have that graciousness or that discretion, the wise man said is like a piece of gold in a pig's snout. Amen. It's hard to appreciate the little piece of gold when you've got a 1,200-pound sow wearing it. Amen. That's what Solomon described, a beautiful woman that didn't have the discretion of fearing the Lord. Beauty is nothing by itself. Beauty, beauty attached to a woman of understanding. You have an Abigail. You know what the Bible says about Abigail, don't you? She was a woman of good understanding and a beautiful countenance. Would you like verses 12 through 15 for you? Would you like verses 12 through 15 for your family? Would you like 12 through 15 for your church? How do we get there? Let's go to verse 1. Can I break this psalm up into two verse parts for you so that we can digest it quickly? The first two verses are David praising God for his political successes. You will see God teaching him how to fight. He's putting his trust in the Lord who defends him at all times and protects him and who subdued the nation under him. And that was tricky on two occasions for David to get the whole nation under him. Verses 3 through 4, David confesses his own unworthiness of God's great blessings. What I'm telling you here is what we want to do to get the last four verses by the grace of God. We want to put all of our trust in the Lord in verses 1 and 2. We want to confess and admit to the Lord that we are nothing, as verses 3 and 4 describe. In verses 5 and 6, he prays poetically 
In the language of Psalm 18, for God to come down and destroy His enemies. In verses 7 and 8, He says, Lord, You've got to come down and rid me of strange children that are around me who are deceiving hypocrites that I cannot trust. He says in verses 9 and 10, You are my deliverance. Therefore, I am going to make up songs of praise to You and lift up Your name on high in magnifying what You have done for me. In verse 11, He prays against those hypocrites again. And then we have verses 12 through 15 where he describes the blessings of a people that are under the blessing of God. And we want to seek that blessing of God. And we we sought to do that nearly eight years ago. We want to continue to do that. We want to press forward. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Let us do that. God offers great rewards for it. You saw in Psalm 18, David said, The Lord rewarded me because He saw my righteousness. Because with the merciful, God showed Himself merciful. David was a merciful man. Could David have killed King Saul on a couple of occasions and gotten rid of his enemy? He waited. He waited and he waited until the Philistine archers took King Saul down by the providence of God. David was a merciful man. And God showed him mercy. To the froward, God showed Himself froward. Saul was froward. Absalom was froward. And they received frowardness. Let's quickly look at these verses. Verses 1 and 2. David praises God for his political successes. Blessed be the Lord, my strength, which teacheth my hands to war and my fingers to fight, my goodness and my fortress, my high tower, and my deliverer, my shield, and he in whom I trust, who subdueth my people under me. It starts right off with praise. And one thing we want to be known for, and one thing we want flooding from our hearts and out of our lips, is praise. Blessed be the Lord, my strength. Blessed be the Lord, not blessed be my military, not blessed be my strategies or my leadership, but blessed be the Lord, my strength. David was found in 1 Samuel chapters 14 through 16, but when he was first discovered, what skill was he discovered for? What did these things do when David was first discovered and made famous in the court of the king? Played the harp. God taught him how to fight. David was a man of peace. God turned him into a man of war. David was a poet. David was a musician. David invented musical instruments. David wrote the Psalms. He is called in the Bible the sweet psalmist of Israel. God taught him how to fight. And when God teaches someone how to fight, look what David did. Do you know what this means to you and me? Do you have enemies? You that are masters. Do you have adversaries? You that are fathers, do you have any adversaries? This church, do we have adversaries? The Lord will take care of us. He will be our strength. He will show us what to do. And He will bless the effort. Don't you ever back off. If you've got a problem to deal with it, deal with, deal with it. The Lord will be with you. If you put your trust in Him and praise Him. Look what David says. In whom I trust. Whenever David went to battle, he trusted in the Lord. 
when he ran to meet Goliath. Goliath did not have to come looking for David. David ran to meet Goliath. And Goliath said, I'm going to take you scrawny little buzzard. I'm going to tear you in pieces. David said, you uncircumcised dog. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. And in his name, we'll see who wins this battle. Do you know who won that battle, Caleb? When David ran to meet Goliath? Do you know how, you know how big a sling stone was in those days? It was the size of a golf ball. They could hurl it a quarter of a mile. He smashed him right in the forehead. You've got to see one. David Taylor uh, likes to go around with a sling like David. They were huge. They could throw him a quarter of a mile. You know what the Bible says about 700 men from Benjamin? They were left-handed and they could throw at what? How big was their target? A hair's breadth. Anyway, I'm getting a little bit off the subject. David ran to meet Goliath and the Lord blessed him. He hit him right in the forehead. He falls down. He runs up there, pulls out his seven-foot sword or whatever Goliath used and chopped his head off. And he went back into the camp of Israel with that big ugly head in one hand. Bible says so. Right. And the sword in the other. How did he do all that? I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Amen. What enemies do you have? What obstacles do you face? Take them on in the name of the Lord, putting your trust in Him. This psalm is for us. We want to do it as a church. I want to do it as a pastor. I want to do it as a father. I want to do it as a husband. You want to do it as a master. You want to do it in everything we face. We want the last four verses. Look at David. In whom I trust, who subdueth my people under me. Are you worried about rebellious children? Are you worried about troublesome teenagers? Who subdueth my people under me. The Lord will take care of you. The Lord will keep your family united if you put all of your trust in Him and you're a man of praise and blessing to the God of heaven. Oh, you know there's much more that could be said. i got to go on. Verses 3 and 4. David took all... Before I get to verses 3 and 4, David took all sorts of reasonable maneuvers and developed strategies and equipment to be the best leader of Israel that he could be. But his trust was in the Lord. When the Bible says the horse is prepared against the day of battle, what else does it say? Safety is of the Lord. Except the Lord keep the city... The watchman waketh but in vain. They have a watchman, but unless the Lord blesses your efforts, you will not accomplish anything. King Saul was killed by Philistine archers. Do you know what it tells us in the middle of David's funeral eulogy for King Saul and his son Jonathan? It puts in parentheses, David taught Judah the use of the bow. David knew something when he saw it, that it was a good military weapon. But notice, in a verse like this, there is not one word about David's ability. It is entirely about God's ability. Amen. Look at his protection. God is my goodness. Any, anything good that I do, God did it through me. He's my fortress, my high tower, my deliverer, my shield. God did it all. So we put our trust in Him as a church. My dear brothers and sisters, let us put all of our trust in the Lord. Let praise flow from our lips. And let us make God our fortress and our goodness. We are nothing. We will use the means He gives us, but we will not trust our means. We will trust the God who blesses means to be like David.
and to fulfill this psalm ourselves. Let's go to verses 3 and 4. Lord, what is man that Thou takest knowledge of him, or the son of man that Thou makest account of him? Man is like to vanity. His days are as a shadow that passeth away. In these two verses we are taught humility. This is David's prayer. This is why God made David great. Did you like that verse in Psalm 18 that says, that said, Thy gentleness hath made me great? God's gentleness toward David. There was nothing in David to deserve to be great. God made him great. God is able to make our church great. Your family great. You great. If you'll put your trust in Him and then do verses 3 and 4. And what verses 3 and 4 are is total humility. And it's a confession before God. I am nothing. Lord, look at the exclamation points. What is man that thou takest knowledge of him? That is not a question. That is a statement, an emphatic statement, that David was nothing. The son of man that thou makest account of him. It's not a question. It's a statement. Man is like to vanity. Doesn't the Bible say man at his best state is altogether vanity? If men of high degree and men of low degree are put together in the balance with nothing on the other side, they go up. And nothing on the other side goes down. That's the word of the Lord. Solomon said, I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or to come in. God taught him that humility, but David had taught him that humility as well. And the Lord blessed him for that prayer. If we're going to be great as a church, do you know what our position is about ourselves? We are nothing. What are we that God would bless us with anything? We must be like Jacob who said, I am not worthy of the least of all thy mercies or of all the truth that thou hast shown us. We have not discovered anything. We are totally dependent upon the hand of God feeding us. We are as handmaidens looking to the hand of our mistress to be supplied. We are nothing. Man is like to vanity. His days are as a shadow that passeth away. When the sun has already declined enough to create a shadow on the ground, it quickly speeds across your yard and it's gone. And so goes the life of a man. The life of any man. He's nothing. And why would God take recognition or notice of any one of them to bless them? Because He's so merciful and gracious. And God has shown us His grace And we want to beg for more. And we want to tell him that without his grace, we are nothing. Because David, in Psalm 144, did that. Verses 5 and 6. When you're in trouble, what should you do? You should call upon the Lord. As we just sang, who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be delivered from my enemies. That's what you ought to think. we got to do it as a church. You need to do it as individuals. We want to do it as families. Oh, brethren... When I tell you about faith-based reading or faith-based television, what did I just say? Did I say there was faith-based television? That's like saying that Christian scientists are a religion. They're neither Christian nor scientists. It's like grape nuts. They're neither grapes nor nuts. 
faith-based. Every minute that we spend listening to music, listening to friends, reading, or watching, that is not faith-based, it steals from us what is in verses 5 and 6. As families, we want to get together in our living rooms with our little children or our grown children. And when we face a difficulty, we call God down from heaven to help us. And if we do that every day of their lives, when we're in trouble or in need, we call God down from heaven to help us. And when we have been helped, we get back in that living room and bless God for having come down and helped us. That is faith-based living. And you can take Anne of Green Gables and any other program you want, and it is not faith-based living. Whenever you, lo- whenever you cheat your family by doing anything that is not faith-based, you're stealing from your soul. We might be able to say that sports on television is kind of neutral. It isn't neutral. It is not faith-based. It's man-based. And you've got to guard against it. If you're going to watch a little bit of a football game for a little bit of carnal entertainment, when you finish, get the Word of God and restore your faith. Because that is pure carnality. It is body-based. It is world-based. It is devil-based. It is flesh-based. It's not faith-based. Faith-based is verses 5 and 6. Listen to these words. We read them in Psalm 18. Bow thy heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains and they shall smoke. Cast forth lightning and scatter them. Shoot out thine arrows and destroy them. When you have an obstacle in front of you, call upon the Lord. This is how we build families. This is what David did. David called upon the Lord. If he was out with his sheep and a lion came against him, he called upon the Lord and he took the lion and tore its beard off. If a bear came against him, same thing. If Goliath, if it was Saul, if it was Absalom, it was the Lord. When David had to flee out of that city of Jerusalem, can you imagine how terrible the scene when David fled from the city of Jerusalem because Absalom, his son, had committed sedition and treason against him? Out comes the Ark of the Covenant with Zadok the priest. David said, halt just a minute. You carry that Ark of the Covenant back into that city. You put that thing back in there where it belongs. If the Lord be with me, I'll worship Him there again. And I'll tell you, God heard the prayer of David and didn't hear the prayer of Absalom. While Absalom's dangling in that tree, looking into the eyes of Joab and seeing nothing but the eyes of a serpent, I wonder if he's the one that called upon the name of the Lord and God did not hear But God heard every prayer of David. There were men so treacherous in Psalm 18 that they even called upon the name of the Lord Jehovah. But he did not hear. Can we build faith-based families? Can our church be always faith-based? We never want to talk about we've done this or we've done that because we've done nothing. The Lord's done everything. And when when we have a need... Let's beg the God of heaven to come to our rescue. Let's learn some language like this. This is inspired language on how to pray. And when the Lord blesses us, let's praise Him for it. He's come down from heaven to help. Let's go to verses 7 and 8. David's prayer against hypocrites. 
Verse 7, Send thine hand from above, rid me, and deliver me out of great waters, from the hand of strange children, whose mouth speaketh vanity, and their right hand is a right hand of falsehood. We give this hand. Men have done it for generations. This hand right here. The right hand. You know the Bible tells us that? Book of Job. Book of Proverbs. When you were going to become a surety for someone in the Bible, what would you do? You struck hands. It's a deal. Men have done that for years. You know, now we have to have lawyers involved and write up 50 pages. Men used to be honest enough that if you shook hands, it was a done deal. And it was a done deal in the Bible. Except when you had men like this, whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood, whose mouth speaketh vanity. The words they speak to me are not true. Their words are smooth as butter, as smooth as oil, but war is in their hearts. David lived with that all of his life. Think about it with me. David, King Saul's called for you. He wants you to come and play the harp for him. David goes in there to play the harp for the king that has asked him to play the harp. And while he's sitting there playing the harp, King Saul takes a javelin and tries to kill him. Once, twice, he had to escape out of his sight. Absalom. That was a great dinner, Dad. Thank you for having the chefs fix my favorite meal. That was a great dinner, Dad. And then go out and steal the hearts of the children of Israel away from his father. David lived with it all his life because David was the father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And for three and a half years, the Lord Jesus Christ ate and drank with a man named Judas Iscariot whose right hand was a right hand of falsehood and his mouth spoke vanity. He was a thief and he was a betraying friend. There are enemies outside that are a whole lot easier to fight than enemies on the inside. Look at Psalm 55. Hold your hand there at Psalm 144, but look at Psalm 55 to hear David's agony. Joab salutes David. Yes, we've made a covenant with Abner. And then he goes out and kills Abner. Psalm 55 and verse 12. For it was not an enemy that reproached me. Then I could have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me. Then I would have hid myself from him. But it was thou, a man mine equal, my guide and mine acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked unto the house of God in company. Let death seize upon them and let them go down quick into hell. For wickedness is in their dwellings and among them. As for me, I will call upon God and the Lord shall save me. Notice the pain. In verses 12 through 14, as he describes, if it would have been an enemy, if it would have been a Philistine, if it would have been an Edomite, I could have handled it. But it was when it was somebody that I communed with, talked with, walked with, we took counsel together, we went into the house of God together. 
It's hard to bear. The Lord will deliver me. And the Lord did take those men out, and He took them out hard, like Absalom and King Saul being two examples. It is a shame that some of the most loyal men David had were Philistine mercenaries. In that scene that I just described, when the Ark of the Covenant came out of Jerusalem and David sent it back in, it tay the Gittite came out in the assembly of those who were fleeing with David and 600 Gittites with him and all of their little children. Do you know what a Gittite is? Who else in the Bible do you know was a Gittite? Goliath of Gath. These were 600 men from the hometown of Goliath that had chosen to follow David and they followed him all his reign. They were mercenary bodyguards for David. David sees Ittai the Gittite and he says, friend, look where I'm, I'm going out into the woods. There's no place. You've already done everything for me that could ever be done for another man. Go back into that city and serve Absalom. A Philistine raises his hand to heaven and says, as the Lord liveth, and as my Lord the King liveth, I will be with him in life or in death. And 600 Gittites, Philistines, swore by the Lord Jehovah that they would be faithful to David. He had mercenaries that were that loyal, and he had a son doing what he did. We think about the Apostle Paul when he's giving us his resume in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He mentions stonings, beatings, in perils of robbers, in perils of this, and in perils of false brethren. In Galatians chapter 2, when they extended the right hand of fellowship from the apostles to Paul, it said that there were false brethren brought in unawares that they had to do battle against. And it disrupts things. Do you know how upset Paul got when he had to write the Galatian epistle? He said, I would they were even cut off that trouble you. Because it is so disruptive. How blessed and how good it is when brethren dwell together in unity. Division is terrible. Strife is terrible. A house divided against itself cannot stand. We had a right hand of fellowship last Lord's Day. Gerald and Kathy, we are so thankful to have you in our church. When we gave you our right hand, maybe a hug, maybe a hug on top of that. We gave you our right hand. We met what we said. We were committing to you in the same things that you had committed to us. And together we were agreeing that we will serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. Back to Psalm 144. There's many other things that could be said. David knew the danger. He had lived it in his whole life. Even his brothers picked on him when he came to kill Goliath. Verse 7, send thine hand from above. Lord, you have to do this. Rid me and deliver me out of great waters from the hand of strange children. When the Bible says that an adulteress that you sleep with is a strange woman, does it mean that she's, you've never met her before? When it says strange. No. It just means that she is a foreigner and an alien to your bed. 
You have no right to her sexually. She is strange to your sexual rights. And these strange children, they were not strangers. David had many that were friends, so-called friends, like the Lord Jesus did. They were strange to his holy ambitions for Israel. They were strange for his plans for Israel. They were strange to his love of God. Their hearts were not in it. They might pray to the Lord once in a while, but the Lord wouldn't even hear them. Their mouth spoke vanity. They get into all churches. They're in the book of Jude. They speak great swelling words of vanity. What is it? Oh, their mouth speaketh vanity. They speak great swelling words of vanity. They have persons advantage in their minds rather than the service of the church and the blessed God. They are spots in your feasts of charity. David said, Lord, you've got to do it. Our position as a church and your pastor's position is this simple. It's the little parable in Luke 13. When the Lord sees a fruitless tree, we keep digging and dunging. And we will keep digging and dunging until the Lord comes back and cuts it down. If you'll remember that little parable, the householder did not say to the Lord of the vineyard, I'll give it another year, then I'll blow it down. Or I'll hack it down. He said, if you come back in a year and there's no fruit on it, I'm going to keep digging and dunging, then you cut it down. That is where we stand. We pray that God would rid us of strange children or hypocrites. And every one of you should be examining your hearts. Are you a hypocrite? Is your right hand a right hand of falsehood that your love of the Lord is not equal to those that you're shaking hands with? God knoweth. I will dig and dung, and so will everyone else in here. But we are going to be praying for the Lord to come and cut down fruitless trees in His time. That's how we apply verses 7 and 8. Verses 9 and 10. I will sing a new song unto thee, O God, upon a psaltery and an instrument of ten strings will I sing praises unto thee. Because it is God, it is He that giveth salvation unto kings, who delivereth David his servant from the hurtful sword. David knew that all of his deliverance was from the Lord, and so he was going to get creative and zealous in worshiping Him. He was going to create instruments, find instruments, and use them to praise the Lord. That's in the Old Testament. We don't do that in the New Testament because there's not a verse in the Bible about musical instruments under the New Covenant. There's a whole lot under the Old Testament that we don't do. We don't kill little lambs and paint their blood over our doorways. We don't kill oxen in the name of religion. I will sing a new song unto thee, O God. I will get creative. I will go out of my way to worship thee and to praise thee for your deliverances. Because it is the Lord that giveth salvation to kings. You would think that a king with absolute power and unlimited resources would would find it difficult to give praise to any other source for help. But David gave praise to the Lord because he knew it was the Lord that saved kings. Kings cannot be saved. There is no prince saved by a host. Salvation is of the Lord. 
in all aspects. It's of the Lord. I will sing. This church has emphasized singing, haven't we? And we're going to keep emphasizing it. Because singing is what a spirit-filled person wants to do. And the more you sing, and the more you enjoy singing, it can, you've got limited capacity in here. The more you sing and think about what you're singing, it pushes anger and pride and other passions that we'll think about in the second assembly out the back door. If you'll fill, if you'll fill your heart and fill your mind with singing praise to the Lord, because it's He that delivers us, it pushes those other things out. If you get into a song service, or the singing that we have, and you're thinking about the words and you're delighting in the sound of your brothers and sisters singing around you, it take, it dissipates your irritation or, or anger at anything else. David made that a principal part of his religion. And he promised the Lord, I will sing a new song unto thee, O God. And notice, it's in the second person. I will sing a new song unto thee, O God, meaning these are hymns. This is directed to the God of heaven. These aren't even spiritual songs right here. These are hymns which are direct toward the Lord. Because it's that Lord that gives salvation to kings. Verse 11, we have a repetition. And it's an inspired repetition, so it's a reminder that this is a terrible thing that we do not want in our church. Rid me and deliver me from the hand of strange children whose mouth speaketh vanity, and their right hand is a right hand of falsehood. They use the Lord's name. They may pray to the Lord. They greet us. They embrace us. But their hearts are not with us. And we've got to trust the Lord, and we will trust the Lord to find them, discover them, and reveal them. We'll dig and dung around them. We'll warn and rebuke. We'll correct and instruct. We'll forgive and forbear as long as we can. But we'll trust the Lord to help us. A house divided cannot stand. A family divided cannot stand. A church divided cannot stand. David knew that. And David lived with it his entire reign. He had Adonijah trying to commit sedition and treason. He had Amnon and his incestuous problem. He had Saul, Absalom, Joab. He had trouble. He had Doeg the Edomite that killed all the priests of God at Nob because he saw David there. Rid me and deliver me from the hand of strange children. So we're going to pray and we're going to trust the Lord. We're going to keep doing what we should be doing, but we're going to do all that we should be doing. And we're going to trust the Lord to deliver us. How blessed it is for brethren when they dwell together in unity. So we make our way back to 12 through 15. Verse 12 is your family. Verse 12 is my family. Verse 12 is this church. We want to see our sons and their youth grown up like plants. We want to see them strong and mature, healthy and vigorous, fearing the Lord in their youth. We want to see our daughters as cornerstones, substantial, helpful, diligent, virtuous, polished with graciousness, polished with godliness, polished with sound speech and modesty, polished cornerstones after the similitude of a palace. This is what we want for our church. We've wanted it for a while. We still want it. 
And we're going to get there by the grace of God. We want to seek it and pursue this with all our might. You should be able to look at that verse and just say, is this really in the Bible? Is this really how practical religion is? Is this how practical the Bible is? Indeed. This is our desire. That we can have sons and daughters that will fear the Lord and bring joy to our hearts and joy to the heart of God Himself. Foolish sons are a calamity of both parents. They're a grief to her that bore them. Lord, save us from such and bless us with that family blessing of verse 12. Verse 13, your economic blessings, that our garners may be full, affording all manner of store, that God will bless our efforts. We don't want to be rich. Our prayer is simple. God, give us food convenient for us. Don't make us rich. We'll get too proud. Don't make us poor. We might do something else wrong. Just give us food convenient for us. But God always does a little better when you pray like that. And so we shouldn't be surprised at verse 13 in the Bible. We'll trust Him for our economics. Our country is very foolish economically. We don't know what the future holds. But we know who holds the future. And our trust is in Him completely. So we'll continue to do our reasonable best and trust the Lord for the rest economically. Verse 14, that our oxen may be strong to labor. Our labor, our productivity, our safety, that there be no breaking in nor going out. We don't have to worry about anthrax. We don't have to worry about suitcase nukes. We don't have to worry about terrorists. We've got someone that can terrify in heaven. And he can come down and chase them with the angel of the Lord. It's, it's in Psalm 35. He can terrify them with the angel of the Lord. The Lord can give us safety. He can give us blessing. He can bless our jobs, our garners, our families, that there be no complaining in our streets. Nothing wrong. Internal peace and happiness. And brethren, those brethren that have been here, how many wonderful days we have had in blessed peace and unity. We have had that ointment running down upon the skirts of our garments. Let us labor diligently to keep it. Happy is that people that is in such a case. Yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. Psalm 144 is David's desire for what Israel could be. Can you read this psalm and say, that is my desire for what I want my family to be and the kind of church that I want to be part of. This is the word of the Lord. Do you know how we can have this church? We can grow this kind of a church, this kind of a nation, a holy nation. We can grow up into the Lord Jesus Christ, our head, by that which every joint supplies and every part contributes. We can compact ourselves together and be a holy house where God comes and is our God. And we worship Him And He fulfills those seven promises to us by being our Father and we His children. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word and convict us to labor and love one another and to serve one another in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ until He comes for us. Amen. Amen.